All right, welcome back to the Author Speaker Podcast.org. I'm Steve Siebold, your host. And I want to encourage everyone to download, go to the site, authorspeakerpodcast.org, O-R-G, authorspeakerpodcast.org, and download the How to Become a Million Dollar Speaker ebook. It's all free. You can get it on Amazon. Uh, you can get the actual book on Amazon. I think it's $25, 20 $25, I think it is now, and maybe it's 20 They change the price all the time. But you get the ebook for free. If you go to the site, just leave your name, name and email. And uh, authorspeakerpodcast.org. Get that book and read that book. It'll really help you. Uh, it tells the truth. It's by Elliot Saltzman, a guy who followed me around the country for a year on tour uh, and asked me questions, interviewed me, took, took him backstage, took him on the airplanes, uh, airports, you name it. Um, he followed me around, and he saw... What a seven-figure speaker did. And that was in the height of my career. Um, so uh, when I was really traveling and going, and uh, so it's it's very to the point. It's very direct. So uh, if you're if you're easily offended, you may uh, you may be a little shocked. But uh, but it's a it's a book that tells the truth about the business. And if you want to be successful at it, it's all free. So authorspeakerpodcast.org and uh, and get that that how to become a million dollar speaker book. All right. So today I want to talk about something that can be a lot of fun, and it works very, very well with audiences of any type. And it's shocking the audience. Shocking an audience. How do you do it? Well, there's many ways you can do it. Why do you do it first? Okay, so why do you shock an audience? Well, a couple things. To wake them up. Okay. I was working one time at a convention. I was speaking at a national convention. It was a pharmaceutical convention in Scottsdale, Arizona. Of course, one of the places everybody works. It was at the Phoenician. Of course, if you're a speaker, you're going, oh, who hasn't worked the Phoenician a million times, right? Um, we all have a lot of times. It's a big convention area, of course. And so one of the million times I worked the Phoenician, but it was a pharmaceutical company that I'd never worked for before, and I'd worked for a lot of them. That was one of my niches. I, were, I niched in pharmaceutical and financial services. And so I did tons of turnarounds in, financial, in, uh, in um, pharmaceutical. That was my specialty. And so anyway, they sent me there. I got a referral. I went there, opening speaker, national convention. And I mean, I'm on the stage, literally. I was going from town to town. It was, I was doing very, very well. I was really busy. And I, you, know, you just get to the point as a speaker when you're doing so many speeches in a row that you know it's going to go well before you open up in your mouth and say the first word. You're just confident because you've done a lot in a row. And I had been on the road for a couple of weeks straight and... It was going very well and everything, and I thought, okay, well, here I'm in Scottsdale. I think I was headed back to Florida after that, to our Florida house, and I was going to take a little break. So I was feeling really good, is my point. You know, sometimes you get worn out on the road. Sometimes you're feeling good. Sometimes you're a little nervous because it's a new audience, whatever. It was a new audience. It's a pretty large audience, and I felt great. I thought, I'm just going to do this one. Hit Sky Harbor, and then bam, I'll be in Palm Beach, uh, you know, within four hours, and I'll be sitting on the, uh, you know, sitting on the, the patio having a double vodka. It'll be nice. And I was feeling really good. I remember that. And I get on stage, and I'm, I'm literally 10 minutes into this speech, and I've got an audience that looks like they're dead. For some reason, it just was not working. And again, if you're a working speaker, you know that that's part of the business. Sometimes, you know, it's always when you let your guard down and all of a sudden this audience, the audience just looks at you like, I don't get anything you're saying. I don't think you're funny. I don't, I just don't, I'm not reacting. And they just look at you like you're thinking, 
I'm bombing. How am I bombing? And this is, I can't bomb. I'm, I'm one of the top speakers in the country. You know, this doesn't happen. But it does happen sometimes. You don't ever know what, who goes before you unless you're there to see it. I was not there to see it. I, I remember I came from Sky Harbor from the airport, and I, and I went right, you know, I was backstage, and, and it was a big convention. And I, and I was not the, I was the opening keynote, but I was not the first speaker. Uh, there, was a couple, there were a couple internal speakers. And what I found out later was there were some issues um, in the beginning with the audience, with the, with the, the, the first, the president was kind of hard on the on the sales team it was a sales uh, pharmaceutical sales team and i guess he was kind of hard on them in the beginning and they were a little shell-shocked and they'll oh here i am their speaker some outside guy they never heard of before and they were just looking at me like they could have cared less what i said so i went into shock I, not, I personally didn't go into shock. I mean, I went into shock mode, shock strategy. Sometimes you can, it's almost like using a defibrillator on someone that's not breathing. You can shock them sometimes back into life. And it doesn't always work, but it usually does. And so I had these, these shock strategies that I hadn't used in a while because I hadn't had that problem in a while. So what I did was I just stopped the speech and about 10 minutes in. And I said, you know what? I wasn't planning on telling this story, but... Uh, I'll go ahead and tell it to you guys. The other day, you won't believe this. The other day, I'm having this fight with my wife. And I got to tell you, she's pretty tough. Like, so she got mad at me and she takes a swing at me and just nails me right in the jaw. And I mean, and I'm bigger, a fair amount bigger than her. And I went, I went over a little bit because she caught me off guard. Just right in the jaw. I never saw it coming. And she was pretty close, and she, she's got a pretty good punch. And so I go over, and I thought I was going down, but I kind of steadied myself with my hand against the wall. And then I came back, and she had kind of dropped down a little bit, and I came back with a left, and I uppercutted her right in the nose. Broke her nose right there. Right, and I felt it with my hand. She knocked her straight out. And you should see the looks on the audience's face. <laughs> and I'm being—I'm not laughing. I mean, I'm laughing with you, but I'm not—I wasn't laughing with you. I was dead pan. I'm looking straight at me. Go, I she's bleeding all over the place, man. It was a good shot. And I was really surprised that I could come back that fast with the left. I think I got a little lucky. She almost knocked me out because I—I wasn't ready for it. But uh, but I felt pretty good. She—I yeah, broke her nose. She was in a chair. She had her nose bandaged up for six weeks. <laughs> They're looking at me like, oh my God, this guy's a wife beater. This is insane. And of course, it was, I made the whole thing up. I mean, I, I made it up one day, I don't know, six months before that. I thought, God, if I ever get in trouble, I'm going to use that story. I don't know some, where I came up with it. They looked like they're all paying attention now. No one's looking at their phone. Everyone is just dialed. They're looking at me like, oh my God, th this guy should be in jail. Like this is the he's a terrible person, and I looked at him and I just burst out laughing. I said, "I'm kidding, relax. God, take it easy, you guys. Have a drink or something. Jeez, I'm kidding. I'm joking. It's a joke." And all of a sudden, they burst out laughing, and I had him. And it was just like I'd never, I never did that story before since. I said a lot of years ago. I never did it again, but it worked. It was one of those ways to shock an audience. Sometimes it's like the defibrillator. It's like a psychological defibrillator, and I woke him up. It got their attention. And, uh, and sometimes the shock will do that. And, and there's different ways to do it. I was working Salt Lake City one time. 
at the uh, the uh, what do you call that? Little America, Grand Grand America. Grand. If you work Salt Lake City, if you speak as a speaker, I've worked a lot of times. There's, it's always two hotels you work. Grand in downtown Salt Lake. It's either Grand America or Little America, and they're right across the street, and they're nice hotels. But everyone has everyone works those two hotels in Salt Lake. It's like no one works anywhere else. It seems except Grand America and Little America. It's funny. You talk to speakers on the road, like I used to all the time, and people would say, you know, you, you meet them in the airport in Salt Lake. Where are you working? Grand America or Little America? They're like, how'd you know? I'm like, everyone works those two hotels, man. That's the only place they hire you. And so anyway, I'm working Grand America. And uh, one time, I got a 1,000 salespeople in the audience. There's a guy up there who's a hot shot. And he's got a picture of his Rolls Royce on the top of, of, the, of the, not the top, but the IMAX. And I, and I made fun of it. Just to, I think I've told the story before at some level, so I won't go into the whole thing. But if I remember right, I told the story, so I won't, I won't go into it. But I made fun of it, bottom line. And the audience thought it was the funniest thing in the world. It, it, the thing about it was, the interesting thing about it was, I just made fun of it. I just made fun of him and the fact that he had his, his fancy car up there and he was showing off to the audience. And um, and the audience thought it was hysterical because they were they were really not too pleased with his bragging. And he's known for this. And he does it every time. That's what they told me. And uh, so I made fun of it. And they loved it. I shocked them because they would never, there's not too many speakers that would go up and make fun of a speaker that's internal to their company. He was the top sales guy in the company. He was in the room when I did it. And I did it in a playful way, but, you know, I still took a chance uh, with, by, by making fun of their number one sales guy. But my, my insulator was they hated it. And I could see they hated it because I was watching them for 20 minutes listening to this guy brag about how much money he has and how he has a Rolls Royce and how he lives in a castle and da 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 and everyone's going, oh, throw up. I hate this guy. And I could tell they didn't like him. I could tell they were sick of it. So I, they, they, I knew I was protected. He was mad. But – you know, I didn't care. He's one guy. They, they were not, they, they were, you know, they were, they loved that. I did a book signing afterwards and they said, cause that, that was only the first, I mean, I would say four or five minutes of an hour long speech. And he was the first speaker. I was second. That's all they had that day. And, um, uh, I mean, as far as, as far as, you know, you know, keynote speakers, they were doing training and I mean, at the book signing, that's all I heard was after after I did another 50-something minutes, you know, full of content, mental toughness content, which is what they hired me to do, I heard nothing during the book signing about the content. All they talked about was, that's the funniest damn thing I've ever heard in my life. That guy always comes up here every year, he wins the top sales guy, and he brags and brags and brags. And that's the funniest thing I've ever seen. And with him in the room, that made it better. That's all I heard about. That's all they cared about. And they bought every book I had <laughs> because they just loved it. But that's another example of shocking an audience to go where an audience does not expect you to go. So that's one of the tricks of speaking, professional speaking, is you, 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 you look at the audience's expectations and you say, they expect me to be a motivational speaker. They expect me to be encouraging. Right? They expect me to get them jumping up and down like it's a Tony Robbins seminar. All right? I'm going to do what they don't expect. This is even something Tony Robbins has been doing uh, for the last several years. I don't actually agree with that. I don't agree with this at all. But one of the things he's been doing is throwing around the F word. F this, F that, F that. I, see, I can't even say it on my own podcast. I, I, I say it in real life. I don't mind saying the F word. I have no problem with swear words. I like words anyway. I'm a writer at heart. I mean, that's my number one thing. Um, that's the thing I love to do the most is write. But So I love words. I'm a language guy. But I don't mind swear words at all. They don't bother me. But I, I have a problem because uh, saying it like even in a podcast, especially not on stage for sure, but even in a podcast because 
I've done it, but I don't feel too comfortable because I, I know the words, these words, the F word and other words like that can make people really uncomfortable that don't, they just don't like those words. So I try to do it very sparingly. Tony got an idea to do this all the time where he says F this, F this, F, and I think he's doing it to shock people. And, it, and it's, it's, I think it's backfired because I've heard it from, oh, God. So many people say, why does he, do you know him? Why does he do that? It sounds terrible. He sounds like, like he's, 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 he's trying to do something, you know, that he shouldn't be doing. And it's just, it's making, it's belittling him. He's above that. And I don't think he really gets that, which is weird because he's, from what I hear, he's a smart guy. I don't know him, but I, but I know he's a, I've heard he's a smart guy. Um, obviously a great speaker and a great success story. He can't argue with the success, but which is funny. That's why I'm, I'm surprised that Tony Robbins will do that. Cause I, I really respect him. I think I'm, again, I don't know him personally, but I, but I do, you know, respect him. And obviously he's a tremendous success. There's no way to argue. He's a, he's a celebrity at this point. You know, he's a public figure, you know, he's a celebrity. He's not even a public figure beyond public figure. But so he's so that's why I'm surprised that he would do something that's not very bright, frankly, because he's a bright guy. He sure seems like a bright guy. And uh, but anyway, that but people do that. They'll say, OK, well, they don't expect me to say that. So I say it. OK, well, there's probably smarter ways to do it. And one of them is to say, OK, what are the expectations? How do I shock them with expectations? OK, I'll give you another example. So one of the things I have always done in keynote speeches is we do research, as I've talked about on the show before. We do proprietary research. We do our own research. And then we del- I deliver the research, part of the research, not all of it. The statistics during the keynote speech, the most shocking statistics, what they expect me is to keep giving them great statistics. Oh, well, let me take, because I start out with it like most speakers do. 66% of you said, this company is the greatest company you ever worked for. And everyone claps. Yay for us. Yay for us. Um, 92% said you plan on spending your entire career with this company. Congratulate. Yay. Aren't we great? Yay. Yay. Okay, great. Uh, 81% of you said you are highly engaged in your role with this organization. 82%. Great job. Yay. Yes. Yay. Yes. But here's a statistic I was really surprised about. And they think I'm going to do the same thing. They, they're ready to go. Yay. And I say, 32% of you. In this room, 32%. Now, there's 3,000 people in this room. 32% of you said you are actively looking for another job outside of this company. 32%. And the, the room just stops. The first two rows, the executives, in other words, stop breathing in a national convention. They just stop. They're, they're like, what? What, the, what just happened? What? 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 What happened to all the great stuff? Is this guy supposed to be a motivational speaker? Aren't we supposed to be jumping up and down, clapping for ourselves? Is he supposed to be telling us how great we are? He's in our house. I mean, effectively, you know, we, we probably, you know, at the L.A. Convention Center, the Orange County Convention Center, or, you know, L.A. or, or I mean, uh, Vegas or Aspen or whatever. But he's effectively in our house. I mean, we hired this guy and now he's beating us up. I'm not beating you up. I'm just telling you, this is what you told us. 32% of you said you're actively looking for another job in another company. Now, here I am talking again, now continuing with the shock. Now, look, guys, there's 3,000 people in this room. Now, I'm no mathematician, but it seems to me that 32% of 3,000, that's a big number. What does it cost to train your average person in this company? About maybe fifty to hundred thousand dollars, maybe maybe more. Woo! You oh, you lose thirty-two percent. My math's not that good, but you might want to whip your calculator out and look at what that might cost this organization. Man, I don't. You know, I'm just a small business. 
I don't have that kind of cash. But if I did, I wouldn't be burning it in the fireplace, which is exactly what you guys are doing. It's interesting. Wouldn't think you would because you guys are so successful. It shocks me that you would waste money like that because there's a reason 32% of these people want to leave. And it's most likely a toxic environment or something to that effect. Now, I don't know. I'm just, don't shoot the messenger. I'm just guessing. But guys, this is what mental toughness, and then I'd go back to mental toughness and say, this is what mental toughness does. This is what critical thinking training does. You got to clean this up. You don't have to. It's going to be expensive not to. But don't feel bad because we had the same issue at you know XYZ company I'd worked for before. I'd shock them. All of a sudden, they're looking at me like, wait a second. Is this guy a motivational speaker? Or he, did he just tear our heads off? I mean, wait, I don't, okay, who is this guy again? <laughs> and they would just be shocked. And then what would happen is the president would come up, usually at a national convention. It's the president that introduces you. It's the president that gives you the mic. It's the president that takes it back from you when you're done at the keynote speech at the national convention. And typically, the audience is clapping. He'll come up. <clears throat> Take the mic from you or shake your hand and say, call me on Tuesday when we get back. I want to talk about next. I want to talk more about, I want to hear about this research and stuff. You got, you got me thinking. This is very interesting. Thank you for coming. That's what I wanted. I wanted to shock him into another conversation. Now, this is not made up. This is all research we did. It's proprietary research. That's why we did the research. We were looking for what was going on in the company, both good and bad. Most of it was good. Most of it was always good. Most of the time, unless they were low-performing teams right from the beginning. But at a national convention, usually good things are happening with big companies. That's why they're big. So you look for statistics. You look for a situation. Any way you can shock them. Use the defibrillator. And then they just freeze. And then the next thing you present them with is critical because you got their attention. More than likely... The most amount of attention of attention you'll get during that speech, when you shock them, when they're like, "What? No, what? I just got hit in the head with a board. What? How? I, what, what's? What happened? What? What was that?" And they just look at you like with like a deer in the headlights, and then boom, the next thing you say is going to be the thing they remember the most. Lots more to talk about with this, but that gives you an example. If, you've, if, you, if you haven't used shock treatment with an audience, I highly recommend it. Make sure that if you're going to give a statistic, make sure it's accurate. Make sure you can back it up with data because if you're not, if you, if you, if you can't back it up, you're just a bully. You're just bullying them. And that's not what we do. We back it up with data. Okay, you have to develop. I've had a lot of them come up and say, "I want to. I want to see that in writing." You go, "Absolutely, I have it right here for you. I have a copy for you. I expected you to say that." And that's what I would say too, if I were you. It's in all in writing. Here's the here's the interview questions. We're not going to give you the names of the people told us, but we're going to give you the results of the survey and of the of the interviews that we did on the phone. <clears throat> And they accept it because of that. Because we, we was, we're professionals. We're not just up there you know, trying to shock them for the sake of shocking them. We're shocking them for the sake of gaining their attention. In a world where everyone plays on their phone and or is talking to their neighbor or going to the bathroom or getting something to eat or thinking about something else. Right? It's hard to gain people's attention. So that's what we do. Shocking. There's shocking is only one of the ways to do it, but it's one of the best and it really, really works. So give that a shot. Okay. So wrapping up the show, remember to go to authorspeakerpodcast.org and download that How to Become 
a million dollar speaker by Elliot Saltzman. It's a really good book. And he followed me around for a year. This guy really did his homework. He did a really good job on this book. And you'll get a lot of hard hitting facts in that book that you won't get in any other book I've ever seen on professional speaking. This is the truth about this business. He, this is not his opinion. He followed me around and saw it at the seven figure level at national conventions for major corporations for a year. The guy wouldn't leave me alone. He was, ama- he was amazing. He was a very persistent guy, young guy, and a very, very ambitious, very successful guy. And uh, so download that book, authorspeakerpodcast.org, and we'll see you on the next show.